Welcome back to another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and today I'm with a long-awaited guest. This is a long-awaited conversation. We have many mutual friends in common. I have studied this guy's work like crazy. I know more about this man than any person should know about another person without (laughs) ever having met. Um, This is my guy. This is a person I follow. This is somebody I've just uh, really come to admire and respect. His name is Kerry Newhoff. Many of you know him. If you don't, it's time that you do. And I want to tell you about Kerry Newhoff before I officially welcome him on today's episode and today's podcast. Kerry is a former attorney turned pastor. He actually led one of the largest churches in North America. He's a podcaster. He's a speaker. He's got a blog. Um, If you don't know him, it's because you're not paying attention uh, or you're just simply choosing not to follow his work because he is everywhere. Uh, Check this out. People download his content at a rate of 2 million downloads per month. Crazy. 2 million downloads per month. Now, keep this in mind. He was a pastor, a lead pastor at a major church until 2015. So he's been recently creating content, came out with a new book, At Your Best. It's fantastic. We've given it to every single one of our coaching clients, and we're going to keep spreading the good word. In fact, if you want an episode of this book, would you DM us on Instagram, send us a, a direct message, or send us an email jordan at montgomerycompanies.com. We'll put that in the show notes. For the first 100 people that reach out, we're going to send you a free copy of Carrie's book. Um, You need it in your hands. Uh, This isn't just to make Carrie feel good. It's because this book is so relevant, so important. And I don't care whether you're a parent, a veteran leader, an emerging leader, you work in a church, you work in the marketplace. Um, If if you're dealing with burnout, if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, um, this is a book that you need to read. And I love what Carrie says. He says, this isn't a burnout book. This is a, a book about preventing burnout. So it's not about how to deal with it. It's about living a life where you don't have to ever experience it. You can actually live a life that's productive, free of burnout. We want to help you understand how to do that. But listen, Carrie's work goes way beyond at your best. We're going to dive into all kinds of great conversation today. We are going to talk about energy management in a meaningful way. And um, as we do that, I want to usher in our guest Carrie Newhoff, welcome to the show, my friend. Jordan, it's a thrill to be with you. Thank you so much for having me and for reaching out. I really appreciate it and glad we finally met. Well, listen, I know you've been on uh, a lot of the podcasts that that I follow and pay attention to. I want to give Brad Lominick a shout out for connecting oh, yeah. us formally. We share and a lot Lominick. of friends in, in, in common. Yeah. We love Lominick. Love David Nurse. You've been on Craig mm-hmm. Rochelle's hey, you know, podcast. And so- yeah. Um, Anyway, just respect your work, brother. Thanks for investing time with us. We're going to make every minute count. And here's where I want to start. You've built this incredible network. You've got all these leaders that follow your content. Um, I think you shared with me recently, you've got 20. There are 20 people asking to be on your podcast every single day. It's maybe more than that. According to my podcast manager, yeah, that's a little hard to imagine, but I confirmed that with her today. So, just so managing got, your workload. We get 20 yeah. pitches a day. We have six episodes a month. It's like, geez, what do you do with that? Crazy. Right? But, it's crazy. Yeah. So the point is this. Here's what I want listeners to understand. You've got people coming at you in droves. You've built this mm-hmm. phenomenal network. You have worked so hard at serving and adding value. You've been very intentional. And there's a right way and a wrong way to approach people and to get time with people and to learn from people. I heard you unpack this on Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast. And I told you before the show, I want you to, to go mm-hmm. here again in the conversation because there's so many emerging leaders that need to hear this. If you're an emerging leader 
and you want to get more time with mentors, maybe you want to book podcast guests, there's people you want to learn from, maybe you're in sales and you're trying to approach certain prospects or future clients. What Carrie's about to share, you need to hear. So this is heavy note-taking time. Carrie, if we've got an emerging leader listening to today's show and they want to approach a more senior thought leader, somebody that they want to learn from, what are some tips or some suggestions on how to do that well? So without making the answer really long, let me go back 27 years. I'm 30 years old and I'm starting, I've left law. I start at three little tiny churches and I'm an hour north of Toronto. If you come visit me, I still live in the same community. I mean, there's cows for neighbors and <laughs> it's very rural. These are tiny churches, average attendance of six, 14 and 23 at the three churches I was serving. And my only mentors were books. I didn't know anybody except the people in my denomination. I was a young leader. Uh, a lot of churches, most churches weren't growing in Canada. So I would buy books. I, I had the privilege of telling Rick Warren recently about buying Purpose Driven Church in 1997 when I was 32 and I was so excited to get it. And, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, there was really the internet was dial up. So I was lonely and alone and not networked. And what I started was there were a couple of pastors up the road. You know, I had a church adding all three together of less than 50, but there was a guy down the road named Doug who had a church of 200. And, you know, Rick Warren wouldn't have lunch with me at the time because uh, he didn't know who I was, but Doug did. And I went for lunch with Doug and I'm like, Doug, I got my notebook. Tell me what to do to grow a church. What are the struggles? And I just kind of worked my network that way. Fast forward, a decade and a half. And, you know, our church had grown and I was starting to speak and write and so on. And I got invited to conferences and I'd be in the green room and I would leave the green room going, oh my gosh, I wish everybody could have heard the conversation I just had with so-and-so over lunch, you know, one of the other speakers or somebody. And podcasting was starting and I, I've been a podcast listener for 15 years. Easy, easy. And I thought, I think I'm going to start one. And how you start a podcast is you go with your network. So I was fortunate to know Andy Stanley at the time. That was episode one. And that's a pretty good start. But then, you know, you run out of famous people you know pretty quickly. And soon it's like you're talking to your neighbor. Will your dog come on my podcast? Or do you have a cat? Like maybe I can interview your cat, <laughs> right? Because you're kind of out of people. Um, but what I did was rather than be the, the guy who's trying to climb the ladder, as my network grew, uh, so did the opportunity to meet other people. And so I've had some of the top names and I started making a bucket list of like people I wanted on my podcast. And sometimes it's, you know, like Craig Grisha. The other thing that, that gets you noticed is I was writing a blog at the time and I know everybody thinks it's, it's dead now. Blogging is dead. I still get seven, eight million people who access my website every year to read the articles. So you know, I don't think that's dead. Technically, I think it's pretty good. But Craig Rochelle started reading my stuff and he reached out to me. And Frank Beeler, who's become my best friend, was at Elevation Church. And because of what I was writing, he reached out to me. So all of a sudden you start to, and it started on social or Craig would, you know, retweet something I tweeted back in the day. And now he's become a really good friend. But I had a bit of a calling card. My calling card wasn't, I got this podcast with 300,000 downloads, which is a lot, but not a lot in their world. It was like, okay, I'm adding value to their life, hopefully, theoretically, by writing content that is helpful to them. And, you know, that's how it starts. But here's the thing. We're 24 million downloads in on the podcast. I'm still cold calling people. Like today, 
we found out that James Clear is coming on the podcast. So we're getting pitched, I don't know, 20 times a day. But I'm, I'm, I'm still like, no, I, there are people I want to interview. And trust me, James Clear from Atomic Habits is not trying to pitch us. He's got <laughs> far more important things to do with his time than talk to me. <coughs> but, pardon me, <coughs> I sent him cold call emails uh, a couple of years ago. You know, James only does interviews. We got a responder back like in October and November. So it's like, Kate, wait a year, go at it again. But what I've done is, is you know that the people that you know know somebody. And um, so that was a two-year play. Uh, I interviewed Chris Anderson from TED Talks, his wife, Jacqueline Novogratz. Great interview. Her publicist reached out. I think Jacqueline herself reached out because she didn't get a lot of church interviews. So she came on and I thought, oh, I've been you know cold calling Chris Anderson from TED for a year now. I'm sure this is a shoe-in. Still nothing. And uh, one morning, I think it was Saturday morning, 4.58 a.m., after an email that didn't get responded to for three months, Chris Anderson gets back to me and says, I think I want to do your show. What are the details? It's like, okay, great. But you know what you do? You write a really nice note. You tell them, I know you're incredibly busy. I know you get pitched a hundred times a day. Um, here's what I want to talk about. Figure out who their friends are, by the way. If you know some of their friends, the way you tell who their friends are is I got my buddy Jeff's book, um, all the endorsements on the back. Look, there's uh, John Maxwell and Valerie Burton and so on. I think I got buried in the front cover because I'm pretty sure I <laughs> endorsed this book as well. I didn't make the back cover. Um, but you read the endorsements on their book. And yes. so I could say to James Clear, I've had Seth Godin. I could say to Chris Anderson, you know, I've had uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I've had these people on the podcast. And then it was really interesting because one of my guests said, oh, yeah, no, I've heard all about you. And I'm like, you have not, surely you've not heard of me. You're not from the church world. You don't understand. She goes, no, our friends talk. And she said, Adam Grant told me about you. And Seth Godin told me about you. And I'm like, What? Because you don't realize, you think Ow. people just delete you, but they have an impression of you yes. and that makes a difference. So I'll give you a template for cold call email. You know, dear Jordan, I love your show. I've appreciate, always start with what you appreciate about them. Because if you're mm. just trying to get the name mm. and you've never read a book, never listened to an episode, uh, save the nickel and don't write the email. But, you know, I've been following your work for years. I'm sure you're extremely busy. Uh, I do a leadership podcast. We just passed 24 million downloads or 100,000 downloads or 10 downloads or whatever it is. Uh, other guests name their friends on there. Feel free to reach out to any of them and ask them what their experience was like. Um, regardless of what happens, I will be a fan for life. Um, I can flex with your schedule. Thanks so much, Carrie. Simple, short. They don't have time for a whole tome where you were born, the trauma you suffered in your yes. childhood. They don't yes. want to know that stuff. Um, sometimes I'll throw in a bit of resume. Like if the person like Susan Cain, she's a lawyer. I mentioned that I trained as a lawyer and, you know, was briefly in law. So you look for common mm -hmm. ground like that. And then they may never read your email. And uh, a couple of other tips. Professors always have their emails listed on the university. You can find them. So Amy Edmondson, John Cotter from Harvard, uh, read a book by Chris, Chris Bale at Duke, like it's all public. And so you, you pitch them that way. The way I got Malcolm Gladwell was fascinating. So this Tell is us. June of this year. I'm taking July off. And I don't know, you know, I know Malcolm's friends, but I'm, I'm not comfortable enough to ask Adam Grant, like, hey, you introduced me to Malcolm? 
Like we're just not buddies. We've emailed back and forth. He's been on the show before. We joke around a little bit, but I'm not ready to cash that chip yet. So I'm Googling on the internet. Okay, his company is Pushkin Industries, uh, info at pushkinindustries.com. Do the pitch just the way I suggested it. Mentioned his friends. I get a response literally the next day. And the woman who answered said, I know who you are. I, ha- I used to work at Penguin. And I launched your last book. Uh, I love your work. Let me talk to Malcolm. A week later, I'm interviewing Malcolm. Wow. Which is the right time, the right connection. Same thing happened. I don't want to say who it is. If I name That's it, every single listener will know who I'm talking about. Um, he's iconic in leadership. He doesn't do interviews. I've hit him up every year, every six months or so, fresh email to info at blah, blah, top leader.com. The person who does the info account is like, I know who you are. I'm friends with X and we love your work. Let me pitch it to the guy. And she goes, you know, we don't have anything right now, but next year circle back. I think there's a new book coming out. We'll probably have my, he'll probably do your show. So that's the long game. And, you know, you can have 24 million downloads. You can have a hundred million downloads. You're still playing it, but you're not the jerk. You're not obnoxious. You're very respectful. You know, and respect their work. And um, yeah, then that's how you end up with Malcolm Gladwell and Craig Rochelle, you know, on your podcast. And and Craig's now a very good friend, but that's sort of incredible. uh, Does that make sense? Like, yeah. And and it's so practical. Yeah. So practical, Carrie. And here's where I would summarize all of that as, as honor, you know, you're honoring mm. people, you're adding value to people, you're honoring and honor produces access. Yeah. So if you want more access to people, you, you just, you want to honor them. And what I love about your approach, Carrie, is it's honorable. You know, it's, Hey, I've done my research. I want to say, thank you. You talk about giving people an out, you know, we'll give you an out. I understand you're busy. No big deal. Right now is not the right time. Just want you to know I'll be a lifelong fan. That's such mm-hmm. great language. And uh, when you honor people, you get more access to people. And so I, I just love that style of adding value. And, and I'm going to give you a quick shout out because, you know, we do our research. And so you talk to Lominic hmm. and you talk to David Nurse and some of the other thought leaders who've, who've communicated with you. And everybody says, well, Carrie adds value. Um, one person hmm. said, Carrie just gets it. He gets it. And what hmm. they're saying is he's, he's honoring others. He adds value to others. He's serving others. And my friend, that's why you're getting Malcolm Gladwell on your podcast and James Clear and Craig Rochelle. You have lived a life of service. You're honoring other people and you've expanded your circle as a result in, in just this incredible way. So anything more well, that you want to say about that? Yeah, you know, on? the other thing is it's easy to get attention um, by, by hitting below the belt. Um, yeah. I mean, any study of the algorithm will show you as soon as you start to have an enemy, as soon as you start to, oh, I've got the scoop on, or you know, you could you could do why mega church pastor A is a better preacher than mega church pastor B, or you can do those, and now that will get more traffic than maybe a typical episode would. But you know what I've done there? First of all, that's not who I am. Secondly, that person's never coming back on my show, and so I give mm. every single guest mm. the out. I'm like, listen, this is not live. We're gonna have a conversation. If there's anything you want edited out, let me know. We will immediately remove it. No questions asked because I want you to be proud to share this interview. I don't expect that you will, mm. but I don't want any of this stuff coming back on you as 
you know, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. And sometimes afterwards, you know, I'll say to the guest, is there anything you want out? And sometimes we'll have a five, 10 minute conversation, or sometimes they'll say, can you send me the clip where I talked about X? I want to bounce it off my team. And so we'll bounce it off their team. And if they say cut, it's gone. And what that means is I've had some very high profile people, two, three, four, five times on my show, because now it's, oh yeah, of course we'll do that show because, you know, it's a safe place. Some of those, particularly the higher up you go, the more they get tricked, the more they get into hit pieces. And I'm, first of all, I'm not interested in that story. I don't read Mm. that stuff generally. And that's not who I am. If you really are a, a bad character, I don't want you on my show anyway. Like, you know, yeah, get right, rid of you. Right. So I'm not going to invite That's you right. or going to delete your episode. So, you know, you don't want the headline over time becomes, wow, this is a trustworthy source of someone I respect interviewing leaders. And I like to pretend that we're having lunch and the listeners get to listen in on those conversations. Some of them go an hour, some of them go two hours. I think I've one had almost went Rogan, went three hours. Um, and every every interview has a natural length, but man, oh man, I'll tell you. And it's so rich because then, you know, there's never a cringe factor when they see your name in their inbox or on their phone. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, and it's, it is the long game. You're honoring people and whether you're a listener and, and you're in sales, or maybe you are a podcaster, you're a speaker, you're just somebody trying to learn from other leaders, like this formula is dynamite. It's so good. And I'm so thankful that we chose to talk about this because there's there's 12 things that I want to ask you. We're going to get to like three of them, Carrie. Sure. Um, no, go ahead and I'll but, be shorter but, in my answer. But, but no, this is so good. Point. This is so good. And and I and I knew that was, that was number one for me. I wanted to talk to you about how you've expanded mm. your network and grown your circle. You've done such a great job of and remember, that's 25 years and 10 minutes. So that's don't right. expect that you're going to have Malcolm Gladwell tomorrow. That's uh, right. You know, I had, to, I had to do a lot, like a quarter century worth of work. And maybe you can do it in five years or 10 years. It took me a long time. But that was never my goal either. You know what? Like, it wasn't mm. like, oh, I'm going to do this one day. My goal was, okay, who do I know that can bring value to my listeners? And then that that network just expands. That's a thing, right? That's right. Like we have, you you right. intro the platform and everything. There was no strategic plan behind it. None. Hmm. It was a hobby that kind of blew up and we're making it up as we go along. And it's a lot of fun. But people always ask me like, what's the template? I'm like, well, I can tell you the principles, but I have no Hmm. guarantee that this will work. But I think if you put your heart out there, if you're really bringing your authentic self to your public persona and not trying to be mm. somebody that you're not, which creates imposter syndrome, and you play the long game, things are going to work out. And I'm 57. So, you know, I'm not 25, like a lot of your listeners. So, I've, I've been at this a long time. You know, as my wife often says, I have an amazing wife, uh, you know, overnight success, that was a long night. That was a really, yeah. really long night. <laughs> That's <laughs> There's right. a lot of truth there. That's right, man. Yeah. It's that old mantra about people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in a decade, right? Um, yeah. So much truth to that. Hey, I want to focus in on um, a book that is newer. Uh, maybe we don't mm. call it new anymore. Cause it's been out for a bit. Uh, many people yeah. are aware of this book at your best. I'm certainly aware of it. Um, by the way, before Carrie dives into this book, I want to remind you, we're going to give out a hundred copies of Carrie's book. If you uh, DM us on Instagram, send us an email, Jordan at Montgomery companies.com. You're going to get this book in your hands because you need it. So that's not just like we're trying to help Carrie or, you know, he doesn't need our help. Uh, want to help you <laughs> and you need this so generous content. Thank so, you. um, Carrie, here's what I want to know. Why'd you choose that book? You call it your, 
your life book. Really, it's, it's, it's like your life book, right? Like this book is important to you. And I know the answer to this, but I want our listeners to hear this. Why did you choose to write this book at your best? I had an incident about 16 years ago where I went through a season of burnout, about four or five months where I was probably clinically depressed. And it was after a decade of school followed by a decade of rapid growth at our church. So I was around 40, classic midlife crisis time. Fortunately, I didn't have an affair. I didn't quit my job. I didn't do something like life altering. I just, I thought that I could just go on high speed forever. I'm an Enneagram 8 if you follow that stuff. So I got more energy than, you know, multiple Energizer bunnies. And I just thought I'm invincible. And I wasn't. I didn't declare a finish line. And my body did. And I got depressed and I lost my passion. And I lost all my energy. And it was awful. And I went through that season in 2006. And by the grace of God, I got out of it. A lot of counseling, a lot of help, a lot of good friends. And my passion started to come back. It wasn't overnight. It took about a year until I was maybe 80, 90%. And then another three to five years till I found the new 100%. But I took notes. I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? How do I make sure I never go back here? And at first it was a personal story. And then probably seven, eight years after I burned out, I started talking about it publicly. Like when the scab became a scar, I thought, okay, Mm. I think I can talk about this publicly now. And I realized, oh my goodness, other people are there and young leaders are there. And so um, Mark Batterson, I gave a, a talk based on my burnout experience to, to his staff. And he said that that should become a book. And I didn't have time to write a book. So I did a course about it uh, called The High Impact Leader on Time Management. And like the burnout story is one thing. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, that's a sad story. Too bad for you. But what at your best is it's 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 the prescription that comes from the reconstruction. So mm. I have a set of principles that I learned how to live my life, like how to manage my time, how to manage my energy, how to manage my priorities. So I never burn out again. And I can't bulletproof it, but 16 years in, man, I'll tell you, I I am feeling so much better than I have in my life. Somebody asked me recently, I was mentoring some leaders and they said, what's your favorite decade? Like being a kid, your 20s, 30s. I'm like, definitely my 50s. And they're like, that's, you know, this guy was 27. He's like, what do you mean your 50s? I'm like, you do the hard stuff in your 30s and 40s, your 50s, you kind of reap the benefits. It's like, think of it as financial planning, right? You snowball Mm. your credit card debt at 30. By the time you're 50, that's a nightmare, man. Like if you're not filing for (laughs) bankruptcy, it's right around the corner. On the other hand, if you sock away 20 bucks a week from the time you were 20, In your 50s, you start to reap the dividends. And so 15 years later, I'm, you know, the, the tagline for the book is live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. So what do I need to do today that will help me thrive tomorrow? Like you're the last thing on my calendar today. I'm going to have a nap. It's going to be fantastic. Then I got a few projects to do and we have a live event tonight I need to attend and might do some shopping, but like I build margin into my schedule. And it's sort of Mm. that do less, accomplish more. So I wrote the book because I realized through the course and through speaking around the world that I had probably the chance to help 10, 20,000 leaders through these ideas before I wrote the book. And I'm like, okay, this stuff works for other people. Yes. And about three or 4,000 people took the course. I'm like, let's put it in book form, make it accessible to everybody. So we're going to get practical. Um, Let's dig in. Uh, Let's dig in. And um, you talk about energy zones. 
You talk about this idea of energy management. Everybody wants to talk about time management. I appreciate so much that you focus in on energy management. I want our audience to hear this. This is not anecdotal. You've done a lot of research. And so as we dive in, uh, this book is, is well-vetted. Uh, Carrie has studied the subject matter long and hard and in a really significant way. Um, I, w- I want you to describe the energy zones. And mm-hmm. the, the sort of a, another tagline is doing what you're best at when you're at your best. And there's a way that yeah. we sort of figure this out. So take us there, Carrie. Mm-hmm. I think the mistake a lot of entrepreneurial leaders make is we think we're robots. We just think, we don't think of our body as a variable substance. It's like, it's like a machine, you know, you can just run it all day long and it'll keep going. And that works in your twenties to a certain extent. You can pull all nighters at university. And for the first decade in my leadership, the cracks were showing, I was getting frazzled. I was getting frustrated. I was tired all the time. You know, if there was a lull in the meeting, I might nod off. Like I was tired exhausted, crabby, irritable, good public face, but, you know, privately it was like, all the cracks are showing. And on the other side of burnout, I realized it's just not true. Like I'm not a robot. Like I almost broke and I avoided a catastrophic, like life altering mistake, but by the grace of God and the skin of my teeth. So I started thinking about like, I don't have infinite stores of energy. I don't think any human does. So I started dividing the day into three different zones, green, yellow, and red. And what I realized is (laughs) as driven as I am and as energetic as I am and with all my Enneagram 8-ness, I have three to five productive hours a day. That's about it. I almost called the book the three-hour workday, but apologies to Tim Ferriss. You know, like I'm like, because I'm a creative. I write. I write, wrote sermons for many years. These days I write leadership content, courses, speeches I give around the world. When you're writing, I have about three or four hours in me, maybe, where I can write. And that's my green zone. Like my energy is high. Uh, I'm alert. The creative juices flow, generally in a good mood. Uh, So think about it. If you thought about your peak three to five hours, Jordan, I know you've digested this material. What is it for you? What are are the hours for you? Yeah, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Those are my three. A lot of leaders. Yeah, yeah, I'm more seven to 10 these days. I'm a slower start because yeah. I'm being kinder to my body. I don't set an alarm anymore. But yeah, yeah, six to nine, uh, seven to 10 for me, those are my prime hours. And then your mm-hmm. opposite is like your red zone. So yeah. for a lot of leaders, it's right after lunch. That's when you're you're running on two cylinders, you're dragging your knuckles, you're drinking more caffeine to stay awake in the meeting. You're like, uh, how do I get out of this? And those for me are four to six four to six. And then sometimes after nine at night, you know, before bedtime, I'm like, you know, at yes. that space, what, what's your red zone? Yeah. It's so funny. I'm just like an hour ahead of you throughout the day. It sounds like, cause I'm like three, so three to, to five, four? man, three, three to five, five three. Yeah, yeah. Just not like, man, don't, you know, anything that is really worth it um, probably shouldn't happen in, in my day during that time. Oh so, yeah. I had meetings where I made horrible decisions. Yes. And I complained to my assistant the next day, like, yes. who made this decision? She said, you did at four o'clock yesterday. I'm like, well, that was yeah. a terrible decision, <laughs> but I wasn't thinking, right? And it doesn't matter how highly competent you are. Most of us have a red zone. And then right. everything in between is yellow. And yellow is not a waste. The red zone's kind of a waste. You want to avoid stupid decisions. I think you should either nap or work out then, unless you're training for the Olympics. If you're, if you're training for the NFL, sure, work out during your green zone. If you're doing desk work like you and me, uh, probably use your red zone for it uh, or have a nap or take a break or go for a walk or something. But your yellow zone can be highly productive. I can do meetings. So for example, I'm probably best known Mm. for my podcast these days. I do my interview prep in my green zone 
but I do my podcast in my yellow zone. Because if I prep well, it doesn't require my absolute best energy to do an interview as long as the prep is solid. So, you know, I can can make good decisions in my yellow zone. So green, yellow, red. And then we also realize, and, and I think this is a function of age too, as most leaders get older, you know, when you're young, you think I'm awesome at everything. And then you get older and you're like, actually, I'm only really good at a couple of things. And so the Mm. question, the book asks the question, you know, when are you at your best? Okay, green zone, right? Got it. And I know most listeners probably have a window in their mind already. But then the question becomes, you know, when are or what are you best at? And Mm. for me, I really realized between law, I did radio for a while um, prior to that when I was a teenager. I've, I've written for newspapers. I've been a preacher. Uh, and now, really, I write books and podcasts and that kind of stuff. What's the thread between all that? Communicator. I'm a communicator. I write and deliver communications. That's what I do. And, and so, try to figure out what you're best at. Look at gifting. You know, this seems mm-hmm. to be a gift from God. Passion. Like, what do you love doing? And most days, I, I really enjoy creating content. And then the third thing is, what is creating an impact? Because if you mm-hmm. love doing it, I love cycling. Uh, I'm somewhat gifted at it. It makes no impact. I'm never going to win a race. I'm slow, but I enjoy it. So that's a hobby. You call that a hobby, right? Maybe you enjoy water skiing. Great. Yeah, but you're not going to be competitive. That's a hobby. Um, But impact is like, okay, we are really moving the mission forward when we do this. So it's gifting, passion, and impact. When those three circles come together in the Venn diagram, that's what you're best at. So then what a lot of us do is we cheat our gift. we got a gifting in communication. We have a gifting in administration or accounting. Mm. But you know how the morning goes. It's like, well, I had a breakfast meeting, then I got into the office and this person wanted to meet with me. And then I had to fill out my expense form. And then this happened. Then it was lunch. And then in the afternoon, it was meetings. And now I have to write my sermon at night. Now I have to write that chapter for my book at night. And you're exhausted. So what I suggest is, no, you do what you're best at when you're at your best. And this is the thesis of the book. And you take your most important work that you always slough off and eats up Thursday night and Saturday morning because you didn't get it done. And you do it from 6 to 9 a.m. You do it from 7 to 10 a.m. And when I get that chapter edited, when I get that keynote presentation written, when I get the course finished, it doesn't matter what I do for the rest of the day. I did the big stuff. And so I just started doing what I was best at when I was at my best. And that's when my productivity and the margin in my life soared. And I want that for every single leader. So good. So practical. That was maybe the most practical advice that's ever been delivered on our podcast. A lot of really motivational stuff, inspirational stuff, a lot of tools, a lot of tools. But here's what I love about this book. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home parent or you lead an organization or you're in the world of sports or whatever industry. Like if you have a pulse and you care about creating any kind of impact in this world, this book is for you because we're all in this fight to manage our energy. So Let me give you an insight that didn't make it into the book. Uh, This is true of relational time as well. So my wife, when I was writing the book said, you know, how come I don't get more of your green zone? I'm like, that's a fair point. So (laughs) we got a hot tub about a year ago and uh, we'll often have an evening hot tub, which is awesome. It's particularly great in the winter for those of you in Northern climates. Yes. Uh, But then we got into this thing of morning hot tubs on a Friday or Saturday, sometimes a Sunday morning because I'm not preaching anymore. You know, what's interesting, like most hot tubs, our, our jacuzzi has like a 20 minute timer. And sometimes at night, we don't get to the jets timing out. But in the morning, you're sitting there 
with a cup of coffee, cup of tea, looking out as the sun rises and the jets will go off. And we're like, how is this 20 minutes? Like the quality of time you spend with your spouse or your kids. Cause look at, look at most parents. If you have Mm. a lot of young parents listening, right? It's four o'clock in the afternoon. Your kid wants to read a book or it's seven o'clock at night. You're tired. You're skipping pages. And they're like, you skipped a page. It's like, you can't even read. What do you know? Right. And so (laughs) you're, 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 you're the grumpy parent. If you gave them your prime time, and you mm-hmm. said, you know what? We're going to go for a daddy-daughter date for breakfast if you're a morning person. Or we're, son, we're going to throw the ball as soon as the sun comes up tomorrow morning. And you give them your best time and you're not frustrated and you're not irritated. You know what? You can mow your lawn in your yellow zone. Frankly, yes. you can mow your lawn in your red zone. But old me, I would do all my stuff that doesn't matter in my green zone. And then when it came time for family time, they get my leftovers. That's a terrible mm. way Mm. I, I so much appreciate you spending time on that because I think in a mm. world that is um, constantly pulling us away from the things that are most important, we really have to guard and protect our top priorities. You know, Mark Batterson, your friend, says it so beautifully. He says, I want to be respected most by people who know me the best. And totally. if that's the life we're going to live, then gosh, we got to fight like heck uh, to protect those priorities mm. and protect our time. So, um, Carrie, this is such a gift. I want to end this way. Um, uh, well, I, I have two more things with the time that we sure. have. I, I want to talk about this this idea of the 150 person circle. Um, oh yeah, people Dunbar's need to hear this. Number. Yeah, this yeah. is big. This is big, big, big. And I just as we dive into this, I, I want to just thank you because I've struggled with this. Was a bachelor for many years. Got married at 30. Uh, we've had three children. Fourth on the way. My social network started to go like this. I s- sort of started to freak out. I thought I had a thousand friends. I really didn't. I had far fewer than that. <laughs> and I have fewer than that because there's a reason and you're about to explain it. And I want you to go deeper here. Um, Dunbar's number. There's a British evolutionary psychologist named Robin Dunbar. And he's got a book called How Many Friends Does One Person Need? It's got a bunch of sheep on the cover if you're looking for it. Anyway, he makes a really interesting observation and he called it's called now Dunbar's number where the average person is wired for 150 or fewer real relationships. And the argument he makes Mm -hmm. is back to medieval times, ancient times, the Roman Empire, everything's organized in small groups. The average medieval village, 200 people or less. Think about it. In the history of the church, the average church, 200 people or less. Mega churches are so like last 15 seconds in Mm. the last 4,000 years. They just didn't exist. And We're always gathered in small villages, small communities. There's a term we use in the British Empire. I'm Canadian. Hamlet. It's like 10 little houses that are together. You and I are designed by God to have relational. He's not a Christian, but I would say it. This is my take. We're designed by God to be able to have those kinds of relationships. He said within that 150, there's a circle of about 20 who are really friends. So, you know, the blacksmith in the old days, because you got to get your horses shoot or, you know, you need some nails or something like that. You know who the blacksmith is and the baker is and that kind of thing. But, you know, you're really friends with the butcher down the road because you hang Mm. out off hours Mm. and that kind of thing. And that circle of 12 to 15 people or less are people that you're really checking in with personally at least once a month on a relatively meaningful level. And then there's what he calls close friends. And do you know what the number of close friends the average human can really have is? Three to five. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. social media comes along. He wrote this book, I think, in 2010. So he's like, the internet is changing this. It's like, oh, you should see 2022. Um, (laughs) You know, I have 
tens of thousands of people who follow me on Instagram. Some people have millions. It's like, and then they all have access to you. And, you know, too many people have your cell phone number. So it's like, hey, buddy. And it's like, we're not buddies. <laughs> like, you know, Arthur Brooks, I'm reading um, Strength to Strength. It's a new book. I wish this had worked mm. its way into At Your Best. Talks about this, get this, real friends and deal friends. Now, most mm. of us as leaders, we have deal friends. It's like, how do we know each other? Because we're working together in the field. Guys, this is a particular problem. That's why when a CEO retires and he doesn't get any text messages six months after he's left the C-suite, he has a heart attack and keels over or gets depressed. And you know what? You had a whole bunch of deal friends and I'm, I'm preparing myself for the day. Like right now I have a podcast that's very well listened to. I have, you know, uh, an audience. How many of those are real friends and how many of those are deal friends? And the reality is you'll only know when it's over. So I led a church oh, that went my. on to grow to three or 4,000 people in Canada. And, you know, people always wanted my time and da, 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 da. So that was seven years ago. I handed it over to a younger leader. You know what I'm left in the church? I mean, there's a ton of people I know and they're great people, but I probably have three friends actually at Connexus. So we go from 4,000 people to three and their spouses. And you know what? That's fine. That's, that's all I can handle. I can't, his yeah. argument is you can't handle more than that. And so I've, yeah. I've put it in diagram form in the book, but I'm like encouraging leaders. Who are your three to five friends? And I've got friends outside of Connexus, obviously as well. And you know what? That's okay. I was their pastor for 20 years. They were doing what a congregation should do, but we get so confused. I was counseling a leader during COVID. It's like, people are leaving my church. People are leaving my church and my friends are leaving. And I just looked at him, looked him right in the eye. And I went, they're not your friends. And at first he was offended. And then I'm like, no, they're just, they're doing what people do to their pastors. They're not your friends. You know <laughs> them, you care about them, but they're not your friends. And it's kind of depressing at first, but it's actually really <laughs> liberating because sometimes I get a text from someone, you know, who got my number three years ago or whatever, and I do not give it out. I'm not one of those people who puts my cell phone number at the back of a book. I've been with Bob Goff, who's been on your show. <laughs> yeah. He literally does get a phone call every minute. <laughs> it's crazy. And sometimes he lets it go to voicemail. But, you know, like literally he'll be like, hang on a second, Carrie. Yes. How can I help you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I got to go now. I'm like, oh, that's Bob. I can't do that. I, I need my privacy. I need my space. But you know, like, like, and then I'm like, oh, they're not actually my friend. That's a deal friend. So just some thoughts about that. It's been tremendously liberating. And then what you should mm. do, here's, here's, here's why this matters. I should have led with this. Why this is important is the people in those inner circles always get squeezed out because of the volume mm. of people outside of that 150. It's like, I just need 20 minutes of your time. I just need an hour of your time. I, unless we're like in book release season, Jordan, I don't do a lot of podcast interviews where I'm the guest. Why? Because if I did this all day long, I wouldn't be able to write, wouldn't be able to prepare for my own show. So I'm thrilled to be like, this is a very intentional choice. I'm thrilled to be on your show, but I just say no most of the time because otherwise my wife, my marriage is going to suffer. Uh, I'm My kids still surprised. They're grown. They'll be like, hey, I'm coming into town. And I'm like, can't make it. I'm busy. Well, now I can make it. I'm available. And, you know, it's, it's sorting all that stuff out. And for leaders mm. who have hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people following you, real friends, deal friends, 150, 12 to 15, three to five. Those are your numbers. That is just dynamite. And, and the reason it's dynamite is because there's so many people 
who are being fooled by their social construct. And I've been one yeah. of them. And you get pool, you get pulled and tugged on and and you think you have this you have this perception that you have a thousand friends and you don't and that's okay because what I heard you say, Carrie, is it's God's design for your life. And it is. Um, he doesn't want you to have a thousand friends. You weren't designed that way. You can't live that way. And you just really helped a whole bunch of us. Well, Dunbar was not that. a Christian to my understanding. <laughs> you know, makes the argument that this is how Jesus lived. Like, if you think about yes. it, he had yeah. hundreds of disciples. We know that from the Gospels. A close reading shows Jesus had hundreds of disciples. Nobody really thinks about that. Um, but then we also know there was an inner group of 70 or 72. I think Luke talks about those, right? Mm. But we don't know much about them. So clearly he's doing some training, but he has an inner circle. And that inner circle is, guess what the number is? 12. Yep. Those 12 apostles, disciples, and inside the inner circle, there's three, Peter, James, and John. If you look at how the military is organized, how companies have been historically organized, how so many aspects of society have been organized, always comes back to those numbers. Our generation mm. comes along, blows the lid off. We have anxiety, depression, burnout, overwhelm in epidemic numbers. And it's not a coincidence. And so, you know, I'm very courteous. Mm. I mean, I never thought I'd be one of those guys who's like, oh, I, I can't get to all of my email. I have staff who read through all my email and I have a private address. A handful of people have it. I might get five emails a day. Not a lot of people have my cell phone number. If you do, it's because I really know you well. And uh, I can handle that. And that allows me to serve yeah. millions of people. Yeah, but if, so good. If, if I was letting those millions of people like, bombardment. That's why celebrities go crazy. Mm. That's why they're so weird. We weren't built for that level of fame. Like you want to be able mm. to walk to the store without being recognized. You need to have that inner circle. And our celebrity culture has just blown that up in a really perverse mm. way. And now we all want to be celebrities. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to challenge you. I know yeah. this is in at your best. Okay. So again, if you're listening, read at your best, you're going to hear a lot of what Carrie just talked about and mentioned. Uh, but this, I think, could be another book. This is like a whole nother book and idea, Carrie, that you could go deeper on. Like you just, huh. you just read us. Like we just got audible version there. Last fifteen minutes of like <laughs> that's like a new book. I mean, and it and it's so helpful, so useful, because again, I think so many of us suffer from this perception that we have a bigger social construct and we have more friends than we actually do, and it sends people huh. sideways. And I've been there as a newly married man. I thought okay, we're going to go out every weekend and every Friday and every Saturday night, we're going to go see friends. And we didn't. And I thought I was failing socially and I wasn't. I was living God's design for my life, which is to love my wife and lead my children and have a few friends in an inner circle. And um, so- I appreciate the challenge. You know, that's, that's something I will think about, Jordan. But here's, here's what's interesting. So my wife and I, I think everybody has a different pace. If you look at most people, I call it the driveway test. So I live on a street with a few neighbors. And if I, you know, I, I'm a car guy. I get to know yeah. what cars belong to whom. Sure. And I have a pretty good idea of who's home or whatever. But look down your street. The vast majority of people in your street will have almost nobody over in the course of a year. Hmm. If you start watching it, like I've, I've challenged a lot of leaders with this. It's fascinating. Vast majority of people don't have friends and they don't have family who visit. And this is like COVID notwithstanding. This, is, this has been a hmm. long observation. Sometimes they have family who swings by. And so what my wife and I do is, is we then divide, we want to make sure that that, that inner circle includes life-giving people. Because mm. your family, 
Family's great. It's a gift from God. But sometimes, you know, it's a bit of an energy drain depending on, you know, the nature of your family. For a lot of people, it is. We have some really good family. So we're blessed. But, you know, family can be draining. And sometimes if that inner circle is all draining people, you will leave drained. This is mm. this is like they have to move to an outer circle and yes. you're there. And it's like, okay, this is a relationship where we are going to give, but we're not going to receive. And on that inner circle, what my wife and I try to do is about at least once a week, have something that we do. We go out for dinner, have people over, go to their place, head out on the boat with people who are life-giving. Because otherwise, so you know, a lot of us are in giving positions positions in our life mm. or professions. And so you need to have that. So I would encourage you and your wife to do is think about, you know, who's life-giving for the two of us and our family with the three kids. You say three kids? Three yeah, kids? that's it. Three. Yeah. Yep. You know, who's life-giving? We can go on a play date or hang out or do a barbecue in the backyard or cook out mm. and try to do that once a week. And that's enough Yeah, because family life is busy. And then you'll quickly develop that circle of three to five, and it'll be mutually life-giving. It's such a, such a, it took us years to figure that out, but man, yeah. it's so good. So good, man. Well, listen, you are life-giving. You have <laughs> dropped 37 wisdom bombs. You've shared your heart. You've invested your time. We're so grateful, man. You've done so much for our community in the last uh, 55 minutes. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been a delight. I've learned, I got a page uh, and a half of notes and uh, I'm going to listen back to this three or four times. I've learned from you literally for years, Carrie, just through your work, through your, uh, the, the way that you write, your podcast, um, your books. And this was just a real privilege and an honor. And I trust that we'll have conversation out into the future. I'm in your corner always. I want to add value in every way that I possibly can. How can people chase you down, get to know you, learn more about you? Hit us real quick. Where can we find Carrie Newhoff? Yeah. So if you even misspell my name horribly, Google will help you find it. Carrie Newhoff. It's C-A-R-E-Y Newhoff. I won't even say it because you won't remember. <laughs> There's a lot of vowels. It's Dutch. Or you can go to, I do this thing called the Art of Leadership Academy, and that's much easier to remember and spell. Go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. Uh, that's where I hang out a lot of the time. We've got well over a thousand leaders in the academy now. We just started it. And I show up on a, pretty much on a daily basis there and hang out with leaders. It's a great time. So you can check us out there or on my podcast, the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. And Jordan, just thank you for what you do. Thanks for investing in leaders. Mm. I know this is a sacrifice of time and energy and resources. And I know you're making a difference in a lot of people's lives. And it's been a joy to be with you today. You are a blessing and uh, loved every second of this conversation, my friend. And again, if you're listening one last time, send us a direct message, send us an email. We want to get you a copy of Carrie's newest book, At Your Best. Carrie, God bless you, my friend. Be well. This is so generous. Thank you. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. Just want to say thanks again for tuning in, for investing your valuable time and energy with us in today's conversation. I want to also say thanks again to Carrie Newhoff. You are a gift. You are a blessing to many. And uh, just want to say thanks again, Carrie, for investing your insights, your wisdom, and uh, your most valuable resource of time with us as well. Thanks to our producers, John Choate, James Roth, Storyline Multimedia. Couldn't do this without you. You're the best. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you please share uh, this episode with somebody who you care about, somebody that needs to hear Carrie's message? Would you subscribe to our podcast that we might move our mission of impact forward in this world? This is a podcast that helps the leader go faster, farther. We hope that we've helped you do that. God bless you. Be well. Have a great day.